Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of my podcast. We're able to buy cigarettes now. Well, in most states. Um, I, as always, am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Northwest. Um, as you can tell, I haven't introduced anybody, so I'm all by myself today. But, um, I decided I was going to focus on something I've been messing around with recently. Well, the most recent part of it recently. Um, so... I just finished my second playthrough of Elden Ring on my way to a platinum, but uh, because of that, I kind of wanted to talk about my journey with FromSoft, which is kind of been an up and down thing at first. Um, So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking about my I'm gonna talk to you about my my kind of rough start and which has turned into a love of the FromSoft games. Um, so I think my first introduction was I always heard about Demon Souls and I want to say I played like an early demo somewhere of Demon Souls, which was like the first one of the true FromSoft games. I mean, they kicked around before then, but Demon Souls was very much the, the first one. Um, and I really didn't get it. I didn't understand what was going on. I mean, it was, I didn't have the patience for it. Um, and not knowing really what it was, I think I just kind of, eh, set it to the side, never tried it again. Um, but I think it really kind of popped into my radar when I was heavily gaming uh, Monster Hunter. It might have been a little bit before then. I just remember Dark Souls 3 came out. It was getting really, really good reviews with a lot of people. And my buddy Tony, who's been on the podcast several times, I remember he he had bought around Christmas time on Xbox. He had bought Dark Souls 3 because he's like, I want to understand why people love these games. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot because we... We, uh, we have the game share thing that goes on on our Xbox and our PlayStations. Ooh, Jesus. Um, sorry, messing with my mic. Um, anyways, I remember I, I, lo- I downloaded it because he had bought it digitally and I had started playing it, but it just, I felt like I was banging my head. I wasn't understanding things. So once again, it kind of got thrown to the side, like, you know, whatever. Um, and then I remember I bought my PS4 and I had bought like, I remember looking at like the story to Bloodborne. I'm like, okay, that's more my thing. That's gothic, you know, werewolves and whatever. It's not the medieval thing, which don't get me wrong, I like the medieval stuff, but Bloodborne was kind of like more of the, the horror themed one that kind of struck me. So I remember I picked that one up because it was super cheap when I bought my PS4. So I bought that one. And once again, banged my head against a wall. Could not understand what was what the appeal was. I liked kind of like the way the game looked. Some of the mechanics were okay. I just it was there was things about it like the it got frustrating. You know, you you're compi- you know constantly dying. You keep losing your you know your blood vials or your souls depending on what game you play or runes in Elden Ring. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of like, I, I think I played like maybe an hour worth of it and just 
maybe I beat the first like optional boss on it, but it just, it just wasn't still wasn't making sense to me. So once again, kind of deleted it from my system, went about doing my other stuff. And then like me and me and Tony, and then some, you know, some people cr like across the country that we had ended up hooking up with as far as like gaming wise with, uh, on monster hunter world, we were really gaming. And I remember like one night we were playing with like, we were just, it was the four of us, but then like somehow like another person got into our chat. I can't remember who it was, but like, he wasn't a bad player, but it was like, he was going on and on about how he couldn't, he was so excited for the dark souls remastered. And I'm like, fuck those games suck. Blah, blah. I don't know what the peel is, blah, blah, blah. Well, couple of months i want to say it was after that tony bought dark souls remastered he's like we're i'm gonna figure out what's so special about these games and i'm like well more power to you well you know i had put so many hours into monster hunter and after a certain point in time it was hard to get you know get everybody lined up to really do a lot of gaming we were at the end game and i usually struggle on a lot of those games when you get to the stories done but you still got to grind and like, you know, they added in some more monsters in monster hunter world, but they really weren't great bosses. Like they weren't really, weren't, it really wasn't great. Like they started doing these like really gimmicky ones that I just didn't care for. Um, so I got away from monster hunter and I was looking for something else to play. And I'm like, you know what? There's dark souls remastered. I'll, I'll download it. I'll give it a shot. So I remember sitting down and this is where probably a lot of, you know, the elitists and the FromSoft uh, fan base are going to get mad at me. But, you know, I downloaded a, uh, I found a walkthrough because I wanted to make sure I stayed on the path that I needed to be on because I, I played a little bit on my own and I kept, I got stuck in this one spot and just kept getting my butt kicked. And I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. What I didn't understand was this game, you know, these games do not hold your hand at all. Like they put you in this world and they're like, do what you got to do. Well, they don't explain a lot. I mean, they explain controls, but they really don't explain the lore. They really don't explain that, hey, yeah, there's this place that's easily accessible right off the bat of the game. But you're not going to be leveled up until later in the game to take on this area. Because like, there's these skeletons, and the skeletons do not die until you get to a certain point in this dungeon, you can kill the necromancer that respawns them or whatever. So anyways, I download this or I look up a, a walkthrough. And so I start playing it. And as I'm playing, it, I realize with like the first boss, I'm really just, I really was more of, you know, just trying to brute force my way through it. I wasn't really getting into the mechanics as well, but as I'm playing, I realized eventually I started on my own picking up like the tells, like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fighting the, let's see who, who is the, the gargoyles, the Belfry gargoyles, you know, they're the first, you know, major boss I'd say in the game. Um, I mean, the Taurus demon is the first boss, but he's really kind of, you know, you, you can, you can kind of brute force him just because it's really more just about, you know, just dodging his attacks every now and then. Because he, he hits, but really the biggest thing is, you know, you're just on a narrow bridge and he can knock you off the bridge. 
Um, but anyway, so I, I think it was the gargoyles or maybe it was the boss after that. I can't remember what the next boss would have been at that point in time. Um, but anyways, I really started realizing, okay, no, I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to pick up with the flow of the game. You know, it's like, yeah, you, you got to keep your shield up like everywhere you're going for the beginning of that game. But then it's, you know, as you're going, you're starting to, you know, as I'm going, I'm starting to realize, okay, no, these, these guys have very big tells if you know what you're looking for. And so as you're playing, really, you're going to start mowing the lawn right now. Anyways, um, as I'm playing, I'm starting to realize these little eccentricities that are subconsciously just starting to work for me. Like it just clicked. I couldn't tell you what it was that made it click. It just clicked. And all of a sudden I was there. Um, still wasn't understanding a whole lot about the lore. Like I'm doing the stuff I'm supposed to do really wasn't fully understanding why, but I started kind of getting it and it was like, okay, so then, and I'll admit like I'm, I suck at knowing the lore while I'm playing the game but I have found some seriously good YouTubers that do a lot of lore videos and that's helped me pick up what I, what I wasn't hundred percent catching in the game itself. But you know, as I'm going, I'm starting to realize, okay, I'm somewhat getting my motivations. Now I'm, I'm starting to, the gameplay starting to click. So by the time I get to like later in the game, I'm really starting to get down. Like, okay, these bosses, you do not want to even bother having your shield up. You want to strictly dodge them. Or these guys, the best thing to do is have your shield at the ready and parry them because you're going to get, on your first shot, you're going to get a really good, you know, critical hit on them and that's going to pretty much take most of their life right off the bat. I was still banging my head at points because you, you, there's some of those bosses that there's a reason from soft games are known for being hard. But... I don't think hard is the right word for him. I think challenging is the better word for him because it's it really does make you change the way you you're looking at the fight. Like, you know, like most games in a fight, you know, you're you're really just brute force in way. Like, you know, playing God of War or whatever, even though the most got the most, you know, recent God of War really does have some from soft aspects to it, especially when you get into the Valkyrie fights. Um it's really a different style of game that you have to get your head wrapped around or it doesn't play right to so to speak or you won't get it essentially um but anyways you know see i'm i'm playing dark souls one and by the time i get to like you know midpoint of the game i'm loving everything i'm seeing in this game yeah, I'm getting frustrated with bosses. It's impossible to not get frustrated with those games because, I mean, you'll you'll get to a boss and you're really understanding their mechanics, but then you get to some of the later bosses and some of their tells become a little harder to tell because, like, you know, they'll have two similar attacks that start the same, but one of them will have more of a follow-up or something or more one of them will have more of an AoE to it. But by the time you get to, like, Great Wolf Sif... Or Orstein and Smell, which is still one of the, is probably still, no, I will say is the best uh, two-on-one fight in one of those games, in any of the FromSoft games to me, because it was the only one they actually balanced out. Because um, you get to the point where you know, you're in this amazing arena, 
and you've got one guy that's really fast, has lightning damage, and is on you constantly. You have the other guy that's slow, but if he hits you, he does for a shit ton of damage. So you're, you know, you're just like, and you start realizing, okay, you've got these pillars, so you can kind of use the pillars to give you a little bit of buffer from Smell to fight Orstein on by himself, because... To me, you're a glutton if you try to take out Smell first because he's slow. You can keep away from him longer. And when you get one of them down, the other one gathers the powers of the first one. So I can only imagine what happens when you beat Smo first and all of a sudden Orstein is fast and hits hard. But that's beside the point. Um, yeah, it, 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 like when it clicked, though, this this game series completely changed around. So anyways, you know, I, I went on and I put, you know, I've done like, I think, two playthrough or no, I may have only finished one full playthrough of the original dark souls, but I devoured it so much and loved so much, especially some of the DLC in that game. Oh my God. The DLC was amazing. Um, although screw, screw, uh, Manus, the father of the abyss or whatever the fuck his name is. God damn. He's like almost OP, but, um, and yeah, I I do unlike you know true dieharders. I do use summons. I believe in like you know if you're banging you know you try it on your own if you're having a problem enough, but you just want to get past the boss. There's no shame. Like they put the the summoning abilities in the game for a reason. So yeah, you summon someone in there like whether it's an NPC like the Sunbro Solaire, which is probably next to the Onion Knight one of my favorite character, like NPC characters they've put into one of these games. Um, you know, you summon them in there and, or you can get like other players to summon in and just, it at least helps you with the aggro of the boss a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, it was just this, it, it clicked. So they all like, yeah, I devour the first game, love everything about it. So I go on and I buy dark souls too. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about Dark Souls 2. I think that game has so many issues that it just, it to me, like, it seems like even in the community, Dark Souls 2 is either your favorite game or you just, you could completely do without it. I'm a big fan of completely do without it. Um, because they took a lot of stuff that worked in the first one and they're like, oh, it worked in the first one. We'll just do this again, except we'll... You know, well, they even used a lot of skins, like, you know, like Orstein, the Dragon Slayer. Like, you have the Dragon Slayer armor later in the game, and that's pretty much just Orstein reskinned a little bit. And, but then they also, like, did a lot of gank fights. There's a whole lot of boss fights that really aren't skill related. They're really, really related, just based on luck. Um, for example, I can't remember what the, it's like, the, I think it's the Great Rat Guardian is like, it's, it looks like a giant dog to me, but I guess it's supposed to be a rat. But anyways, you spawn into the boss room and you get brought into this and there's like these three rats there and you have to kill those rats without getting hit before the main boss actually spawns in. Because if one of them bite you, you get hit with like such a uh, aggressive poison that like you're dead, you're, you're not going to survive the boss fight with the boss itself. So it's like they did a lot of that kind of stuff that just kind of, to me, it, it just made it, it was, it was trying to make it hard for hard sake over just having 
a balance like, okay, I get this game. Now, you know, I'm getting the, the rhythms and that. And the other thing I really didn't care for is like, I didn't like the fact, like the first game, like I loved the world of the first game. And the second game, you're in this other kingdom that I don't know how it ties it. Like I've tried finding lore videos and supposedly it ties into the world of the first game. But to me, it just, it wasn't as enjoyable of a world. Um, they retooled the the level up system a little bit. It just it just it didn't it didn't appeal to me the way the first one did. Um, but I played the main game. I tried some of the DLC because I bought the like the special one that came with all the DLC and everything. But it wasn't. It just didn't speak to me the way the first one did. But I still. I still enjoyed it. I still pushed through it. I still got, you know, got the story at least out of it in hopes that it would have something to do with that world I loved so much in the first one. Um, no such luck. Like I said, just a lot of gank fights, but at the same time, it did have, it did still have little enough of what I liked about the first game that I pushed through it. Um, so coming to Dark Souls 3, which is back in the world. I mean, you don't know that right off the bat, but it's back in the same world as the first game. But you're seeing this world so many years later that things are different. So like, you know, you get to the main hub and you're like, oh shit, I'm in some place I've been before but it looks different now from the years of time, or maybe it's an ultra, like that's the other thing is that you don't know if this is thousands of years past the first game, or is this like almost like an alternate reality version of it? Because there is kind of this push and pull in this, this lore where either one is a possibility, <clears throat> but so I, I pushed through three, loving a lot of three. Like, I thought three really took what worked with one. Some of the things that worked with two, but made the storytelling better. You lost some of the gank fights, but you also got some really great boss fights in this new one. Or in three, that just really... To me, it took the first one, and it it elevated the first one as well as itself. I don't feel like that happens with the second one. The second one just feels like its own game. It doesn't, it feels so disconnected to me where the third one, you know, you get the, like, you know, the first game you get to Anna Orlando and it's this bright, beautiful city. I mean, sure. You dig into the lore and you find out it's, it's a lie shocker, but, um, cause there's nothing happy in dark souls, but, um, in the third game, you you're doing some stuff, and next thing you know, you're in Anna Orlando, but it's this like shadow of the, you know, the bright bright beautiful city that it appeared to be in the first game. So you're like, okay, so what happened to this world in this time? Like, what happened to this area? And sure, it doesn't flat out tell you anything, but you can kind of like, as you're playing, you kind of can put together your own pieces. Hell, it's completely could be up for your own interpretation as to, okay, is this just an alternate reality where, you know, something went differently or is it because, uh, this world is based on a certain ending to the first game. Cause that's the other thing about FromSoft games is there's multiple endings. 
sorry, coffee. Um, but so I get through, I really pushed three to the max. And I think I ended up picking up the DLC so I could, so I could play some of the, you know, the, the extended stuff. Cause that really, especially the second DLC for, um, for Dark Souls 3, The Ringed City, really kind of built to the lore that was set up in the first one and in this this new lore they're kind of building. Um, it should also probably be said that in all three of the original Dark Souls games, I kind of went with the generic ending, which is almost kind of in, just insinuates... Oh, no, sorry, the third one, I think I got the... I got one of the better endings, but, um, but like, you know, basically... Your generic ending to most of these games is, yeah, you 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 defeat this this force at this point in time, but really you just reset a clock basically to to start the you you reset the cycle. Um, so it's like in the first game, you know, you have you can like I think you only had like two choices at the end, and that's you could rekindle the first flame or you could let it burn out. You rekindle the flame, basically, you're just starting another cycle of this world at least in my interpretation anybody out there who who has a different interpretation i'm glad to hear it but anyways um so the second one i like i said i don't i don't remember much about the second one the third one you get to the point where you know you're seeing this so it's maybe this world is based on you know you rekindled the flame and maybe it's been rekindled several hundreds if not thousands more times or maybe it's just been rekindled in so many universes that's causing this thing that the world is now different so you're seeing these places that you're familiar with you're also seeing a lot of new places to i cannot remember the name of the the world that uh the name of the world that dark souls and dark souls 3 take place in and that's going to drive me nuts until i can think of it but anyways um you know, you get you get to see some really, really beautiful areas, and then you know, like there's the the mystery of, you know, uh, the main antagonist, I guess, in the first game was uh, Gwen, the Lord of Cinder, who amazing boss fight, epic music. I could listen to the soundtracks to Dark Souls games or from Soft games in general on repeat. They're beautiful, but um. Yeah, you, you get Gwen, and you know he's obsessed with the first flame, and you know his decision to do things that he did has cursed this world. And now, you know, in the third game, you're at this point where, okay, is you know what am I seeing? But at the same time, it's like I want to know more. And I think it was with three was when I really started digging into the lore myself as far as like reading more item descriptions and, you know, seeing uh, to see like, you know, like because like through these these item descriptions, you get little bits of lore. So like maybe you look at in the first game, you look at the the soul, the the great soul of of Gwen and it tells you something about, you know, like how he coveted the first flame and when it was burning, he decided to basically lock himself away in this, this chamber with it. And he rekindled the flame by setting himself a fire or whatever. Um, spoilers. Um, but 
you know, it's the third game took that whole thing and like, you know, like uh, that's where I was going with it. Um, in the first game, there's all these references to Gwyn has like uh, a son that like for whatever reason, when the gods or Gwyn and his his group of people, which they kind of were gods, like they had a war with the dragons, which were seen, which were supposed to be, you know, basically invincible. But they had a dragon that, like, basically was upset that he was born scaleless. So since he doesn't have the dragon scales, he's not invincible. So he sides with Gwen to try to take down the dragons in hopes of getting the scale, like taking the scales off his dead brethren to make himself invincible. But little did he know that it didn't do anything. Um, the scales were useless once the dragons were dead, but they couldn't be taken off the dragons when they were alive. So he's kind of in this, you know, catch 22, but uh, he had a son that if you read lore, it kind of sounds like he had a son that maybe didn't agree with this war and turned against his father. So like you see these statues of this one time son that he had that is no longer acknowledged. Well, you get to the third game and you find in a dragon themed area, you find the nameless King, which is an amazing boss fight. Really epic. You know, rides in on a dragon. The first half of the fight, you're fighting him. He's on his dragon back. So you're kind of basically having to dodge this big ass dragon and his strikes at the same time. But then you fight him, like his dragon passes and he just comes at you all fucking spider monkey style at, and it's crazy, but this beautiful fight and there's a lot of going lore that the nameless king is basically the son, the lost son of Gwen, who basically he, he sided with the dragons. And because of that, he's in this other area that was kind of away, but he was like, almost like their king in a way afterwards, but he doesn't have a name. So you really don't know. Like they, they, they never even give the name of, Lord, uh, Lord Gwen's son that disappeared, that, you know, that was banished or whatever. So, like, to me, that has to be the Nameless King. The Nameless King has to be his son. But anyways, I guess I'm I'm kind of getting dragged into talking about the lore because I love this this world so much. But uh, I need to get back on track. Um, so, yeah, I pushed through the third one and... When I finish all the DLC, I finish the main quest, I just, it felt complete. Like, it was like, I, I felt this, this world just was like speaking to me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give Bloodborne another shot. And Bloodborne, I have to say, is what really cemented my love because where... Dark Souls is a very slow pace, you know, very much block, parry, dodge. Bloodborne is very much just like you do not have a block system. You have a somewhat of a parry system, but it's it's a lot harder to work with because you have like a, a blunderbuss pistol that if you time it just right on certain attacks, you can stun somebody to the point you can get a, a critical hit on them. Um, or a visceral attack as they started calling them that, which 
just amazing. But anyways, you know, this the world they build with with Bloodborne was so much more beautiful to me. So I played, you know, once again, just like with all of them, I mean, it came out late, long, late and uh, you know, long ago enough that I found a walkthrough just to make sure I at least stayed on the track, but I didn't go word for word with it. Cause like, I just figure out, okay, these are the areas I have to get to. And here's the best way to get to those areas. And I dug into that world and that world just enveloped me. You know, the idea of this very dark Victorian world where, you know, there was very much this, you know, this church of blood ruled the kind of ruled the world for a little while, but then there were differing opinions at the top of this church on what was, what truly should have been worshiped. And you have this very HP Lovecraft thing going on that doesn't really settle into like the second half of the game really. But before then you kind of like, you're getting the little hints that there's something else going on beyond this, but you're this guy that for whatever reason you're, you're compatible with this, particular blood that can make you a hunter and it's the night of the hunt which they don't I don't think they ever really explain like how often this happens but every so often they like basically this this village basically just Yarnum like is infested enough that they have a night of the hunt where they hunt down the the pale bloods pale bloods I can't remember anyways but you hunt down the, you know, you're hunting down these creatures. Well, you get drafted by, uh, uh, Garman, the first hunt, like, well, yeah, you really don't know. He's the first hunter right off the bat, but it was Garman pulls you in and basically tells you, you know, like, Hey, you know, you're compatible. He gives you this injection and you start seeing some trippy ass shit. You wake up, you're all alone in like this really weird, like hospital. And like right off the bat, you come across like a werewolf creature that will just true soul, dark souls fashion or true from soft fashion, just wrecks your shit right off the bat. And then you get transported to the, uh, Oh Jesus. I, the hunter's dream, which is like this. It's kind of like a little hub. And it's basically like, if you need to level up, you go there, you can usually buy your gear. You can upgrade your gear there. That kind of thing. But as you're going, that even kind of starts evolving. Cause like, you know, you eventually get the, the doll come, there's this like mannequin looking thing that comes to life and she's how you level yourself up. And she has her own kind of NPC story. That's really easy to follow. And you'll see Garman, who's this old man sitting in a wheelchair and he'll kind of like, as you talk to them, they give you a little more lore about, you know, like you find out Garman's been doing this for a long time and he's been the protector of the hunt, the hunter's dream for, for quite a while. And, you know, and as you're, but then like the deeper you get into the game, you will start interacting with more characters. Like, you know, you'll go like, you can go up and just knock on certain doors. I mean, you can't just knock on every door, but like in Yarnum, when you're in Yarnum at the beginning, you can go up and knock on these doors and you'll get little stories of like how some people will be so afraid to even come near the door that you'll just hear them yelling. Or you go to this one door and there's a bunch of people laughing and they'll, you know, they'll basically tell you to go fuck off because they, you know, they believe you're an idiot for being outside on the night of the hunt. And 
but then every once in a while you like you know you talk to somebody who's like uh looking for a safe place and when you get to a certain point you find a you know, you find out, oh, this could be a safe place. So you can go back and find those people and be like, hey, you know, here's a safe place to go if you want, you know, you don't feel safe in your house anymore. And, you know, it's just, it just like, it took what worked, but to me, it it was the exponential better because of the pace of it. It was much more fast, fast paced. Like I was never big on, I'm, I've never been a big, block a whole lot fan so even in the dark souls game i rarely used my shield i was way more about dodging because you know you'd have to drop your shield long enough to attack so a lot of the times i'd be two-handing probably but anyways then the other thing they had added with uh, Bloodborne was instead of it just being like, okay, yeah, you have a weapon, you can two-hand your weapon. When you go to a two-hand in that one, like the weapon changes. So like if you're using, I think I use the trick axe for most of the game. And it's single-handed axe, but then when you switch it to two-handed, like basically the handle extends and you've got a two-handed axe. Or you got the saw cleaver, which starts out as like almost like a looks like a cleaver but then when you switch it to well i guess you could say two-handed but it's not really two-handed at this point in time it flips open and it's more of like a true sword but serrated so it does more of a bleed damage um i know you could get like the a cane that like basically turned into a whip blade um like you know it, it started out as a regular cane but then you'd pull it, you know, it would, like, the sword part of it would, like, come out and, like, be more of, like, uh, what, I don't remember the character. There's there's a character in the, the Souls Calibur game, Soul Calibur games that had, like, a, a blade that was, like, a whip with a bunch of small blades on it, but then it could connect and make a full sword. Well, that's really what this thing was, and I never got real good with that one, but, I mean, they also have some really weird weapons in those games, but, um... But no, that lore, like the deeper I got into that one, the more that one <clears throat> appealed to me as the horror fan, I guess, maybe. Because, you know, it is more werewolves and uh, Lovecraftian creatures. And, um, you know, then you but then as you go deeper and deeper into it you start questioning who's the good guys here. Like, is there really a right side at the top of this church when there was the separation? Cause you now have the church of blood and you have, um, like a school. I can't remember what the, the Academy was now. I, I keep wanting to call it Rhea Lucaria, but that's from Elden ring. Um, but anyways, you know, so I, I, I pushed and took every little time I could with like, you know, I spent so much time in that world on Bloodborne before I even beat the game. I mean, I bought the DLC so I could do the old hunters DLC, which is very much worth it. If you like the core game of Bloodborne, you need to play the, uh, the old hunters DLC because it takes, it, it extends out the lore and you find out a little more about who some of these characters you've been hearing about throughout the game are. Cause you know, you like, you hear about Ludwig and you hear about these other characters and you're like, but you don't really know everything about them. So you go into this 
other one and you'll find out more about the world that existed when everything was started. Um, but at the same time, it still keeps very much that, that sadness level. I mean, there's, there's really nothing happy about FromSoft games. And so that's, that's kind of a negative to some people, I imagine. <clears throat> you know, like I just watched a live stream of, uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels. They're doing, uh, one of the players is going, one of the people is going through Dark Souls 3, um, for the first time, and she's being kind of guided by one of the other members of the channel. And there was a Dark Souls wedding, which, let me tell you, if you you want to see something messed up, Dark Souls wedding, there's not even a happy wedding in Dark Souls. Um, I mean, one of the, the truly tragic stories is uh, Father Gascoigne in Bloodborne. I mean, you get into that game... And you fight the boss and you really don't understand everything about him till like later on. But then you also find, you know, like if you really go out of your way, you can find some things that are very big hints that he's this tragic character. I mean, he's an amazing boss fight too. Um, not nearly as amazing as like some of the later ones, but you know, like his, his boss fight is he's the first like true boss of the game and he's, you know, when you find him, he's cutting up bodies and he's he he says he can smell your blood or something like that. And then he fights you and you have just, you know, he starts out as very much like just like you. You know, he has the gun and he has a sword. But then, you know, you get him to I think it's like a third of his life left. And all of a sudden he mutates into this werewolf creature and he's super fast and you can't parry him anymore. And. But there's this like subtle thing that if you like there's a window, one of the windows in Yarnum, like leading up to his boss fight, you can talk to this little girl and she says how her her mother went out looking for her father and she's all alone and how her father was kind of, you know, like losing his mind it slowly. So but there's this music box that his her mother used to keep him calm. But when she went out looking for her, the father, the when the mother left looking for the father, she forgot the music box. So the girl asks you, hey, could you give this music box to my mom if you find her? You'll know her because she's wearing like this red bro brooch or something like that. So when you're getting to, you know, you read the, the lore of it and you find out it has something to do with Father Gascoigne. Well, it's this little thing that you can completely miss and you don't need to use it. But if you're fighting Father Gascoigne and you have that thing equipped... You'll pl you can use it, I think, like twice. And when you play it, it'll like calm him down briefly and allow you to get some hits in real quick. So like this music box, like you're, you're talking to his daughter, basically. And then in his boss arena, after you beat him, you can find a dead body up on this building and it has a red brooch. So you find out like, yeah, basically, since the mother went out and she forgot this music box to calm him... He killed his own wife in madness. I mean, it's this really tragic story, but he's this really great character that really comes through. But, you know, like I said, you, you get deeper into the game and it starts becoming very Lovecraftian. You start, you know, like there's a point where the world changes around you because you kind of break an illusion, so to speak. And at that point in time, like you start realizing there's been these creatures around this city 
the entire time. You just haven't seen them because of this illusion. And that's where the game really takes off to me, where you really start to get the... You start realizing these hunters are just as evil as other people, but at the same time, is it their own fault, or is it because of this eldritch horror kind of thing going on? Um, but anyway, so I, yeah, I, I beat that one. I think I got through two, two of the different endings before I put that one to the side because I Sekiro had come out, but I hadn't, I waited for a little while and eventually I picked up Sekiro, which is completely its own, um, its own entity plays totally different than most of the other games. Cause one, you have a stamina bar you have to manage in dark souls, bloodborne, uh, Elden ring where with, uh, Sekiro, it's a poise bar. Like, you have a poise bar. So, like, basically, most of the fights, you only have to truly hit the opponent. Like, you have to get two visceral. Usually, it's, like, one or two visceral attacks on them to end a boss fight. But with most of them, it's, like, it's more about, not so much about taking down their life as it is breaking their poise so you can get these, I think they call them shinobi executions. Um as well as it being this great story of, you know, this guy that was hired to like, you know, he was a, a Ronin that was kind of brought on. He was trained by this ancient samurai to not really samurai, but you know, whatever he, he was trained to like basically be the ultimate warrior from a young kid by this guy named the old owl. And you are the wolf. I want to say, is it wolf? Yeah, I can't remember what exactly they call him. It's like he, I think he's got more than just maybe it's Young Wolf, but um, anyways, you know, yeah, he's this, you know, you're this guy that's like, you know, he's got an amazing ability and it's got a lot more stealth related, a lot more um, instead of just being on flat ground all the time, you know, you get a grappling hook because you lose your arm in the first fight, like the first major boss. Like even if you beat the guy, it still does, like retcons it, so you lose your arm. So you get like this kind of uh, prosthetic arm that gives you a grapple hook. So suddenly you can now get up in trees and get up onto rooftops and, you know, like really move around and try to be more stealth about taking out the regular guys. Cause you can't do that in a boss fight. But um, I think the only thing it really allows you to do in the boss fights is like, if you get certain attacks, you can use that grapple to pull yourself to the boss really quickly. But, um, yeah, since you got this poise break, you're really kind of you, know, you still got the dodge, but a lot of it's a lot of it does become more of a block block parry, but your parries and your blocks are a lot differently. I mean, yeah, you still have instead of your stamina running out as they're hitting your, you know, you're blocking with your your sword, it's dropping your poise a little bit more or whatever. But the world like being in this Japanese era and you do have a little bit of supernatural as you're going, but it's mostly, it's way more of a grounded game for the most part. I mean, yeah, you, when you get to the immortal mortality, but anyways, you're, so you're protect. That's what I was going with. You're protecting this little, like, like a prince, um, who is related to like, basically, uh, Oh God. Dang it. Okay. Genichiro is the guy that kidnaps him. Uh, Ishin. Ishin Ashina. 
Um, but you know, you're protecting this kid because he's basically his blood. Like people want his blood because he's he's immortal, or whatever. Um, and you get a piece of that, which gives you the ability to resurrect, which gives another whole thing game. So you like as the game goes, you know, it's called. Sekiro shadows die twice because originally you you can get like one replay. So like you'll die, you can resurrect and fight the boss again. Um, I think eventually you get like two or three of them, but um, you know, so it gives you this whole other level where you don't have to necessarily have to worry about doing it in one life, but you do still have to really work. Um, but with that one, like the flow of it is it's almost like a, a rhythm game at points because it's like you know yeah you're you know block 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 maybe take a swipe roll out of the way of a bigger attack or a poison attack or something and then you know some 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 guys will use like a, a thrust attack and if they use a thrust attack you can use this special counter where you step on their blade which gives you like massive poise damage um so it became a lot more fluid and a lot more like I said, almost like it, it really is a rhythm game in so many ways. And, and that that understanding really makes it a lot easier to play the game. But then as you go, you do start seeing more of the supernatural. Like you find out there are these centipedes that make things immortal. So you have to get this, this legendary sword that's the only thing that can sever immortality. And oh my god, it's just this amazing, beautiful game. And they also did a really subtle thing where at midpoint to the game, you can actually end the game. It's the worst ending you can get. But yeah, you can end the game like midway through it if you make a certain decision. And that was kind of a cool thing to me. I mean, yeah, it's it's not as progressive as like what Far Cry does where like each game pretty much has a way to end the game within like 10 minutes of the game. But you get this really cool moment where it's like, okay, your father gives, you know, the, the owl comes back and, and gives you the choice. Like you can keep doing your quest of protecting this kid, or you can help him basically kill this kid for immortality. And depending on your decision, like if you make the decision, you fight, fight owl right there. And he is hard as nails, but it is so... Re- and, th- and that's the key thing to these games. To me, they're rewarding. Like, all the suffering you get from dying to a boss, which, trust me, there are several of them. I've died... I could probably... I've lost count on all of them. But, you know, like, Owl himself, I think I I had to have died at least 30 times to him the first time I fought him. And that's his easiest form. Um, there's a later version where you fight him in his prime and he is just tough as nails. But I think the one that really, I think Genichiro's first fight was the one that really kind of set that game to me. And it was really the point where I understood the game, but at the same time, I lost so many times because like he has like three health bars and when he goes to the third health bar, he suddenly becomes this other version of himself where now he's got like lightning powers and he's cheap and he's fast. And yeah, if I had one detraction to Sekiro to me, it's there's like one boss 
because I wanted to, I, I, I go through and I have to fight all the bosses that there's at least, uh, you know, I have to try tracking on all the bosses. Well, there's a boss. I won't get into like his story, but there's a boss named the Demon of Hatred. And that boss is the only one that does. They try to do a Dark Souls boss with. Sekiro and it didn't work to me. I felt that game that boss fight was so janky. Only reason I beat it is I have no problem admitting I cheesed him. I found a cheese factory or a cheese uh uh video and I just did that to beat him because I wanted the win. I wanted his remembrance or whatever it was called. And I felt a little dirty, but at the same time, that boss fight shouldn't have been in that game. Like really he belonged in like Bloodborne over being in Sekiro because he wasn't he wasn't he he didn't fit that that more rhythm game feel to me uh but anyway so yeah so I and Sekiro was the first game I actually went through and I platinumed everything like I found I got all the upgrades I mean given it's probably one of the easier ones because all you really have to do is get the three different endings um get uh like level everything up pretty much like really most of the stuff is just most of it's just the grind to level stuff up and the endings because uh one of the endings you have to do a whole lot of stuff to get um like the best ending to the game you have is, is the one that requires you to fight the owl is in a younger form and he sucks But, um, but yeah, so I beat, I eventually beat Sekiro and like I said, I platinumed it and that made me think, you know what, I'm going to see what I need to do to platinum Bloodborne. So I re-downloaded Bloodborne and I started playing that one again. And that's when I went through and I got the second and third endings because there's three endings to that game and all three of them are kind of cool to me for their own reason. But those that and you know like so i ended up platinum bloodborne so now i've got two platinums on my system and both of them are for games that by all rights if you look at how i started feeling about fromsoft i shouldn't even have those but at the same time there was so much rewarding in those three playthroughs on bloodborne and i think it was like three or four playthroughs on um Sekiro to get everything, you know, there was so much rewarding to doing that. And, and on top of the fact of going through and, you know, like I said, you know, as I played through the other ones, I do feel like each ending kind of helps you build the lore of this world. Like, okay, since I made this decision, I'm getting this ending. So that tells me that this is the way things, you know, this is a, a rule to the world kind of thing. And, Man, it's like as I've it, and it, it it's made me like you know actually like really appreciate the Dark Souls games more. Sure, I still think that right now Sekiro and Bloodborne are my two favorite. There's a reason they're the first two I platinum. There's a reason they're the first two that grabbed me. Um, but then you know, so I go. I've I've tried going back through Dark Souls, and I'm I'm, I'm stuck on a certain pause on Dark Souls Remastered again because I want to try to get a different ending, but. Uh, and I was just bored and I wanted a game to play. So I loaded it back up, but, um, that was until Elden Ring came out. Uh, 
but yeah, they're, they're like the the way they build those games. Like I I have nothing but love for them now. I mean, they yeah, are they all perfect? No, they're none of those games are perfect, and I could I can fully accept I can fully acknowledge why people wouldn't be able to get into them. Like, um, you know, me playing Elden Ring, I've got my buddy Tony has started playing Elden Ring. Um, and I'm kind of helping him out here and there. But, you know, like, he he's made a kind of a comment that, like, he has no idea what his motivations are. And he sent me this meme the other day that just shows, you know, like, uh, you know, it's a drawn-out meme, and it's this, you know, guy talking about how, oh, my God, Elden Ring's so awesome, the lore is amazing, and blah, 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 blah. And then it says, you know, me, and it shows a picture of guys like, what the fuck am I doing? And I freely acknowledge that both sides that I can fully acknowledge both sides of that thing. Like I see the lore through doing a lot of studying through the, like I said, there's some like great YouTubers out there. Um, but like through doing, you know, doing that and just playing the games repeatedly, I've built that, you know, I've, I've put together a lot of this lore and I'm loving the lore. But at the same time, I freely admit you can enjoy a Dark Souls or FromSoft game and beat it just for the challenge of it, but you don't necessarily need to get the lore. I mean, you can go through most of those games without talking to another NPC, pretty much. Um, I mean, some of the games you need to talk to the NPCs just to get level ups. Like, I mean, like in Bloodborne, you have to talk to uh, the doll. In Sekiro, you have... Uh, I can't remember what her name is, but she's a like this medic that's taking care of, uh, you know, she's another person that's taking, helping take care of this young boy. And she, you know, she will, she helps you like level up your healing and whatnot. Um, so there, there is that aspect and you have like the fire keepers in uh, the, you know, Dark Souls one, but you know, it's and Dark Souls three. Uh, but, you know, as you, as you go, I, th I think the big thing to take away from FromSoft to me is the reward system to facing the, facing the struggle, you know, facing the, the uphill battle that are these games. I mean, they're, they're not easy, but at, they're, they're way more rewarding than most games to me. Um, so I guess, I guess I'll get a little into Elden Ring. I mean, like I said, I'm on my second play. I've beat my second playthrough. I've gotten two of the three main endings because, like, really there's... I think there's six or eight that have been discovered, I want to say. There might only be six. I don't know. But, like, I've done the one where you become the Elden Lord, and I've done another one. Like I, I got, like, the Elden Lord ending, and I've gotten the, the Age of Stars ending, which... I actually think the age of I, I I don't know how I feel about the age of stars endings yet, but I know the Elden Lord ending like there's two or three different ways that one goes, and I want to say the I I don't know if it's there's only variations on that one, but I know I still got to get the age of the frenzied flame or something like that, and. So at some point in time, I'm going to start a third playthrough. I'm waiting till after I help my buddy because I've got, you know, Tony's needs my help on something. So I'm waiting till I get that. So I already have the area he needs to be in unlocked. So I don't have to actually worry about fighting my way to that area again, just to help him real quick. 
And I also have to go in and find like, you know, like the, the last things I need for my, my platinum are the third ending achievement. And then the, like, I think I've got one legendary weapon that you can only get at a certain point. So I have to play back through because unfortunately I missed it. And I have to get one more incantation, I believe, even though I'm not a magic user, which is another whole argument about these games, but I'll get into that in a second. Um, you know, it, yeah, I've got, I've got to get like one more incantation that you can only get from a certain person, but I missed some dialogue somewhere that locked it out for me. But, um, I am happy for what Elden Ring does because Elden Ring is very much like you see what they did with Demon Souls, which Demon Souls is the one game I haven't played a whole lot of. I don't have a PS5. I have it on PS3, but it's so janky. It's hard to play. Um, Tony has Demon Souls. So at some point in time, I'll probably end up getting myself a PS5 so I can play this fucking game. But um Demon Souls, Dark Souls 1 through 3, Bloodborne, Sekiro, all these games culminated in what you've got with Elden Ring. Because you have a hidden poise bar in your thing, so like it's you can poise break a lot of the bosses by using heavier attacks. Um, they really streamlined the ability to have more than one weapon, which I always felt was clunky in most of the other games. Um the you know like they're, they're doing it wrong elder ring has some clunky stuff like in the original like dark souls and bloodborne games it was easy to switch from one handing your weapon to two handing your weapon this game i mean it's it's a little more complicated it's not horrible i mean it used to be just one button press now it's like you got to hold a button and hit a button to to switch to only you know arming one weapon at a time but you know, then they added in, you know, since it's open world, it's so much more based on you. Like, you know, you can be like, and the other great thing is unlike most open world games where, you know, you open up a map and you're just inundated with all these waypoints all over your map telling you, hey, look, there's this here, this here, this here, this here. Elden Ring doesn't do any of that. Like you'll go, if you go to your map, that map is blank until you start uncovering it. Um, and even then it doesn't tell you like, Hey, this is where this NPC is right now that if you want to do their quest line, this is where you got to go. It does not hold your hand at all. In fact, it, I'm pretty sure it, it holds out his head. And as you go to reach it, it like smacks you in the face and throws you in a puddle. Um, or throws you off a cliff more like it. But, um, you know, they added in the, the horse combat, which, I'm not huge into horse com the horse combat on it. Like I use the horse to get around, but for the most part, I use the horse only in boss fights. Like like if I'm fighting one of the mini dragons in the game, I'll use my horse because it's easier to get to and you know get get distance and get back underneath the dragon on your own, like on the horse, than it is on foot. But um. But then, like, you know, yeah, the magic system is, like, I, I don't, I haven't, I've never done a magic build. I've set up a character on Elden Ring because I'm going to try to do an, a magic build. But I know it gets a lot of hate with 
the the a lot of the fans because a lot of the magic is really overpowered and I, I've seen it firsthand. Like I've had people come in, to, you know, come into my game and help me with a boss, and they've got this freaking magic spell that just freaking drains. But um, at the same time, it's like yeah, but you have a disadvantage there because when you're casting that spell, you're holding still. The boss isn't. So you can't, you're not always guaranteed to be hitting with this big spell for your whole spell. And like some of the spells I've seen, they, they stand still for quite a while. Um, yeah, I'm more into the, you know, be right up in the boss's face, but I, I kind of want to see this. So I've actually found the class that's kind of a, a mix between magic and melee. So we'll see how that one comes out. I'll, uh, well, maybe I'll do a post on that or a small episode on that at some point in time. But, uh, and another thing I really like, they added into Elden Ring, which makes it so you don't have to worry about summoning, is you've got these spirit ashes you can cast if you have the magic for them, which, of course, my main character does not have a whole lot of magic. And in, But I found a, a workaround for it because you can, you can get things that buffer. So like I've got something that gives me like 15 seconds. I have uh, infinite magic. So... I've got like a leveled up spirit ash that's really powerful, but normally I don't have enough magic to cast it. So I use that spell and I can cast it and then it's, it's done. That's the only thing I use it for. Um, and those spirit ashes are a great way to get, make the game accessible, but it's still a challenge because, I mean, still you got to know which spirit ashes to use because there's some spirit ashes that are best. Like, you know, the, the lone wolves are the ones I use the most time. It's like a, a pack of three wolves. And they're real great for breaking up the, you know, like kind of trying to keep the, the aggro or keep the boss kind of like busy to give you time to heal and everything. But they're not really doing a whole lot of damage. They're really more of just a distraction. So you got to do as much damage as you can while they're still there because they're going to get wrecked pretty quick, especially in some of the later bosses. Um, but I also feel that that makes it more accessible. And I think that's what Elden Ring, to me, that's going to be what, what holds out strongest to Elden Ring is I feel unlike you know I, I follow up a, a subreddit and for the most part the fromsoft community is great like i've had a bunch of really good rea of a uh, bunch of really good responses with them and i've had some pretty toxic responses in other games um especially you know call of duty games is toxic as hell dude don't even get me started on grand theft auto 5 and how toxic that online community is um, and even Monster Hunter was that way, kind of like, you know, there was the purists who were really against Monster Hunter World because it changed too much or whatever. But um, with the FromSoft community, I've had no real problems with the ones I've interacted with, but I know there's some that like, oh, Spirit Ashes or, you know, you're not really playing the game if you're getting Spirit, using the Spirit Ashes. You're not really, you're not, you're, you're not really uh, a FromSoft fan if you use the summons in any of them. Well, that's bullshit. You're gatekeeping at this point in time. No. This game is going to be the open door, the door that opens up to people like, okay, I've played this one. I get it. I'm starting to get it. And now you can go to more of the ones like, you know, like the Dark Souls Remastered and Dark Souls 3, Demon Souls, Bloodborne. And you're going to have a good foundation 
where things aren't going to be there that were in there. But this is, you know, for lack of a better word, this is training wheels for FromSoft games. And I'm okay with that. I'm still loving the game because I can play it however I need to play it to get my challenge, to get what I want done out of it. But this game is opening the door to people who maybe are having struggles getting into a FromSoft game and want to understand what it is about FromSoft that works so well. Um, so yeah, like I'll, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll just give you my rough estimate. I really love, I think Elden Ring is probably my third or fourth favorite FromSoft game. I really think it would probably go Bloodborne, Sekiro, yeah, I'd pull Elden Ring and then Dark Souls. Like, I really feel like some of the earlier ones, just because they don't, you know, like they were kind of still works in progress. I think some of them have issues, but they're still worth the play. And that's, that's you know, th this is just me kind of ranting about how much I love the games and telling you how I got into them. But at the same time, it's also like, I want to recommend people give them a shot. Don't, don't, I mean, if if you feel like you have the patience and don't, but at the same time, don't feel like you have to play them just because everybody else is enjoying them. Like, you know, like I know a lot of people who have jumped Elden Ring just because, oh my God, it's getting these rave reviews and blah, blah, blah. Well, that doesn't mean it's your kind of game. If it's not your kind of game, you should know in the first 10 minutes if a game isn't going to speak to you. It didn't, these games didn't speak to me at first. And so I'm putting it out there. I love the FromSoft games. I understand people who don't get them or I shouldn't say don't get them, that they, they don't click with. I understand the people who are kind of in between. There's something for everyone, but it's not, not every game is going to work for every person. Like, you know, I haven't, there's a lot of games that people love that I tried playing them. Like Persona 5 was boring as fuck to me. A lot of people loved that game. I wasn't a fan. Final Fantasy VII seems to be like the end-all, be-all of RPGs to a lot of people. I thought it was a shitty game. I think Nine was way better. I think some of the earlier ones kicked the shit out of Final Fantasy VII. But that's my that's my take on it. That's you know that one didn't speak to me. I'm glad that these games speak to other people. You know, uh, it it would suck because you know how many man hours go into putting some putting together some of these games. I'm glad that people are getting eyes on them because there's probably a lot of games that get a lot of time and money put into them and don't go anywhere. Whether it's because of like you know like me and Tony have talked about like bad production quality or rushed production or just they got released against a juggernaut like Elden Ring or something like that. You know, I mean it's. You know, I, I, I love the Mass Effect series. I have a couple friends that could never get into Mass Effect because they're not big into the almost turn-based style of the first game and how it's very, you know, or, you know, it... it I'm trying to think of it. it. It's almost cinematic at points, but, like, not as cinematic as, like, another game franchise I love that I know Tony, he doesn't get them, and that's fine is um the super massive game so like until dawn uh man of Medan, uh little hope house of ashes they are very cinematic games they're like playing a movie and more of those games are more about the decisions you make and how they affect going forward because a decision made at one point in time can fuck you with later on in the game well 
I love those games. I don't expect everyone to love them because they're not really as interactive as most games. It's really more of you're watching the story play out. Yeah, you're controlling the character every now and then. You're finding things here and there. But it's almost a point-and-click adventure in some aspects. Oh, well, no, because you're not really... And it's it's cause point and click adventure is a way different in many ways. Well, it's, basically you're you're playing an interactive movie. You know, like especially with you know the later ones. Like I love the fact that um, you know Man of Medan, House of Ashes, and Little Hope are multiplayer version because Until Dawn didn't have that. Um, and they were these games that you got to play like a horror movie, and that appeals to me, but it doesn't appeal to everybody. So, I guess in, in, in wrapping up, in the in the words of the immortal Brian Zane, like what you like, don't be a dick, but don't be afraid to admit something's not for you. Don't try to push through something just to do it. Give it a shot. Hell yes. I mean, you never know if you're going to like or hate something until you try it. Don't, you know, like, and I, I spoke mad shit about FromSoft at first because, like, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And then I finally it clicked. But with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening. I am going to thank Spider, as always, for my wonderful artwork on my body and on my podcast. Um, I'm going to thank Michelle and Tony for, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get specific on this one for, for all the, uh, support they've given me by both coming on the show at various times and by just, you know, talking to me outside of it, telling me what they think I could fix. Um, yeah, so I'm going to say thank you. And if you want to, uh, if you want to reach out to me, you know, uh, you can reach me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. And you can reach me there for comments, questions. Like if you want to know um, if you're a FromSoft fan or you're you're looking to get into FromSoft and you want to understand the lore going into the games, send me an email and I'll be glad to send you links to some of those YouTubers because I cannot pronounce their names, most of them. Um, and I can't remember their names off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, I'll gladly send you those things so you can, you can dig into the lore and at least see what these games are about. Um... I can also suggest some great, like if you just want to watch people play them, I've seen some great playthroughs, especially through uh, outside Xbox has a Bloodborne playthrough, guided Bloodborne Bloodborne playthrough, and they're they've done a full uh, Dark Souls remastered, and they're working on the Dark Souls three one right now with, which is great, called Ellen Souls Academy, which. Both those ones are great watches because she's a noob to the game series. I hate using that term. I don't know why I use that one. She's new to the game series, so it's like it's it's a new thing for her. And one of the other guys is guiding her through, and it's really fun to watch. Um, but yeah, so with that, I am going to once again say thank you, and I hope you all have a glorious rest of this week. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye bye